This episode includes discussions of suicide. Please keep this in mind when deciding if, how, and when you'll listen. For mental health resources, visit spotify.com slash resources. Between 1994 and 1997, a secret group with occult practices made major headlines when 74 people affiliated with it were found dead in Switzerland, France, and Canada. Some were suicides. Some were murders. The dead believed that they would be transported to a new life on the star Sirius. They were members of the Order of the Solar Temple, a group that believed the apocalypse would be caused through man's destruction of nature. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sinister Societies, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala. Every week, we're going to cover your favorite cults, faith followers, and secret societies. We'll look at how some of the biggest secretive societies and cults have made their fortunes. And how they've also managed to run in plain sight and permeate into your everyday life. And yes, today we are covering the Order of the Solar Temple and its founders, Joseph de Mambro and Luke Jure. We'll get into how the order started as a motivational New Age group in the 1980s, but soon developed apocalyptic themes. We'll also talk about how Luke and Joseph were influenced by the legendary secretive order of the Knights Templar, and how these two men led so many people to a violent death. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So let's get into the beginnings of the Order of the Solar Temple. As we mentioned at the top of the episode today, the Solar Temple was founded by Luc Jurey and Joseph Germambro. Luc was born in 1947 in the Belgian Congo, which is now the Democratic Republic of Congo, and Joseph was born in France in 1924. So let's learn a bit about their early lives. In 1974, when he was 27, Luc got his doctorate in medicine. 
and then he went on to practice general medicine for three years. During the 70s, he was also reportedly a member of a small communist group. Yeah, so was everyone. There we go. It's all, it's all in there. It's the perfect, perfect soup of bad shit. And he also served in the French military as a paratrooper in 1976. After his brief stint as a paratrooper, Luke took an interest in homeopathy. Just keeps getting worse and worse. And he actually became a registered homeopathic practitioner in France. Oh yeah, here's this thing. I'm going to keep making it weaker and weaker with like the cheapest thing I can find, water, and it's going to make it stronger. Yeah, Isn't that interesting? Sounds like to me that traditional medicine was just quite difficult. <laughs> uh, and there's a lot of paperwork involved. It's like how every chiropractor mm-hmm. really wanted to be an osteopathic surgeon, but never quite made it. Yeah. yeah and this guy made it. He was a doctor. And then he yeah. was like, well, maybe I, I just be said homeopathic. osteopathic instead of orthopedic. So I've just shot myself straight in the foot. So <laughs> I don't deserve any of the mm. laughs. Well, for forever. that, you need a chiropodist for the foot stabbing. Anyway, let's keep going. <laughs> Sometime around 1977, Luke actually spent time in the Philippines where he worked with healers who claimed that they could remove tumours from people without making incisions. Yeah, like Indiana Jones. Sure. Yeah, you, you must have seen the Temple of Doom. Oh my God, I don't even know why I bother. <laughs> I did get exercised in the Philippines. I know you did. Mm, that was fun. Do you know who doesn't know? Who? The listeners. The listeners. Go ahead. <laughs> so I spent some time in the Philippines, six weeks to be precise, and I decided, uh, you know, don't want to do all the obvious places. Don't want to go where all the tourists are. So I found this island called Sikihor. There is actually a BBC documentary about it out there. Is there? There is. Yeah, it's called Witch Island. It went to this island and there was literally no tourists there. Spent the entire time trying to find the witches. Eventually managed to find one tuk-tuk driver who was clearly desperate for the money, who agreed to take us. His tuk-tuk broke down three times on the way there, and every time he got progressively more freaked out. And it probably didn't help that I was filming it and being like, oh, and the tuk-tuk's broken <laughs> down again. Yeah, he didn't enjoy that. But we got there, and then there was this witch doctor, and basically just sat me on a, uh, sat me on a chair, threw a blanket over me, lit some herbs underneath me, smoked me, and then uh, gave me some tea to drink. And before I'd gone there, the local Filipinos who I'd met were like, don't even drink the water on that island. That place is a bad place. Don't go there. I just drank that tea. And he was like, there are 11 different things in there. So I'm fine. I was going to say, fine. look at you now. Look at me now. Maybe he exercised all of the anti-podcasting fears I had and made me the podcaster I am today. Who knows? It was quite the trip. But, I, you know, I didn't see anybody remove any tumors without making incisions. But that's what Luke did see in the Philippines. He alleges, and then he moves on. In the early 80s, he started a homeopathic practice in France, and it was right about this time his wife gave birth, but the baby died at just four days old from heart disease. Luke became well-known in the alternative medicine community and eventually had practices in France, Canada, and Switzerland. He was also active in the New Age movement and gave lectures on naturopathy and ecological topics. He was also reported to be a vegetarian and didn't drink alcohol. That's probably why he's doing all those drugs. A homeopathic vegetarian teetotaler. No thanks. (laughs) He sounds fun. According to a paper on the Order of the Solar Temple by Italian sociologist Massimo Intravenia, he's in your veins. (laughs) And he's massive. (laughs) And he's massive. In 1981, Luke got involved with, quote, eclectic esoteric groups. My favorite. Two words you don't want to see back to back. Eclectic and esoteric. No thanks. 
And one of those groups was the Golden Way Foundation, which was led by Yosef. Joseph, even. Joseph de Mambro. So according to research by Mr. I'm Massive and in your veins, Massivo Intervenia, around 1971, Yosef moved to Anne-Masse on the border of France and Switzerland. And there he taught yoga and its natural companion, occult philosophy. (laughs) And about two years later, he founded the Centre for the Preparation of the New Age. Just whatever words I want. Yeah, and also, on the border of France and Switzerland, chef's kiss location for rich people. Yeah, 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 yeah. But then in 1972, he was, Kelsey Paris, found guilty of fraud because he was writing bad checks and he was also pretending to be a psychologist. Why not? Around 1979, Yosef and several other people established a communal group in Geneva. And this would become the Golden Way Foundation. And as we mentioned mere moments ago, this was where Joseph would eventually meet Luc Jurey. According to research by historian Jean-Francois Maillard, the Golden Way Foundation was a place where people took part in rituals and meditation in a communal setting. No thanks. It's better than doing it on your own, I reckon. Um, but then I could just stop whenever I wanted. <laughs> Here there's all that pressure to keep going. So when Joseph and Luke met in the early 80s, Joseph introduced Luke to a member of the Renewed Order of the Temple. Guys, I know there's a lot of names kicking about this week. Try your best to keep up. But if you forget, don't worry about it. Yeah. You're trying your best. It isn't going to serve you at any point in your life. Just listen to the episode again. Actually, if you remember all of the different names that we saw, talked about today, you're, you're a nerd. He probably got too much space up there. Find something else to fill it. In 1994, the Daily Telegraph wrote that Renewed Order was founded by a former priest who preached his own type of esoteric Christianity and that the group's objective was to move into the age of Aquarius. And they were also influenced by the Knights Templar. So Luke soon became Grand Master of the Renewed Order of the Temple. These people are all just giant fucking dorks. They just (laughs) love titles and like overblown, bloated organization I feel like if someone had just pointed them in the direction of Dungeons and Dragons, all of this could have been avoided. They're playing, they're like LARPing. They're like doing it for real. But Luke's role as Grand Master didn't last long because within the year, he was kicked out of the group. But he took half the members with him. Luke then became a leader at the Golden Way Foundation. And then, in 1984, Luke and Joseph founded the Order of the Solar Temple, the actual topic of today's episode. The Solar Temple was a secret group that combined occultism with New Age philosophy. They believed that the world would soon come to a catastrophic end, and that to survive the apocalypse, members would need to enter a higher spiritual plane. The Golden Way Foundation essentially became the parent of the Solar Temple. Well, I'm confused. I'm I'm also confused, but at least they're all in it together. And they've got a little support network of bullshit orders. I mean, if I really thought that the world was coming to a cataclysmic end, mm. it'd be nice to have some other people that thought that. Yeah, about. that's true. Mm. What would you call your order? The order of the... They've taken all the good names. <laughs> Coming up, 
we'll get into the order of the Solar Temple's apocalyptic environmental disaster predictions. Try saying that seven times when you're pissed. Rituals and their future life in the cosmos. Hi, Parcasters. It's Greg and Vanessa from the series Serial Killers. For the past five years, we've explored hundreds of history's most notorious murderers, giving listeners an intimate look at their sordid origins and heinous crimes. If you haven't had a chance to join us before, there's no better time to dive in than right now for our Serial Killers 5th Anniversary Special. It's a four-part examination into the mythology surrounding four fearsome killers. Edmund Kemper, John Wayne Gacy, Ted Bundy, Jeffrey Dahmer. Our fifth anniversary series uncovers the men behind the mayhem, analyzing what turned them into killers and how their lethal behavior made their stories larger than life. If you've listened to the show before, we hope you enjoy. And if you haven't, this is the perfect series for any avid ParCast fan. Follow Serial Killers to hear our four-part fifth anniversary special. Listen now, free and only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. So let's get into the Golden Way Foundation slash Order of the Solar Temple and what Joseph de Mambro and Luc Jurey were teaching. Luc Jurey was the main promoter of the Golden Way. He gave talks in France, Canada, and all around Switzerland. And again, according to historian Jean-Francois Mayer, in 1984, Luc and Joseph created so-called cultural clubs within the Golden Way. The first level, or club, um, so they're just like, well, it's not levels, yeah. it's not tiers, it's not a pyramid scheme, yeah, it's no. none of that, it's no. clubs. New age, don't worry about it, everyone's equal except you and me, totally we're very new. different. Yeah, yeah. This is new age communism, baby. The first level or club within the Golden Way was called the Amenta Club, and this club would involve Luke and a few others giving paid lectures. Boring. I don't know, it depends what the lectures are about. That's true. According to the New York Times, Luke preached on topics called medicine and conscience and love and biology. People who connected to the lectures might then move on to the Arcadia Club. This club educated people on a set of beliefs, rituals, and the communist favorite, hierarchy. And then the third level was the Order of the Solar Temple. And the New York Times reported that to be inside that order, people would have to contribute money and, quote, except severe discipline. Around 1986, Joseph and Luke, along with a few loyal followers, moved to Canada, and they bought a chalet complex about 50 miles north of Montreal. And this became the Order's headquarters. According to the book Conspiracies and Secret Societies by Brad and Sherry Steiger, Luke was, quote, relaying teachings of the masters of the Rosicrucian Order of the 16th century who remained alive and hidden in a secret underground retreat near Zurich. That's where everything's going on. 
is all going on in Zurich so and Geneva. Big banks that they've mm-hmm. got, all those vaults you can hide away your sins in. And hide yourself away in, apparently. Joseph would project apparitions of the so-called underground masters at the Order's meetings. Just bunny ears. That's all it is. He just gets in front of the um, the projector and he's like, look the other way. And now it's a snail. Like, that's all he's doing. And he's like, I've been working on this. Now I can do a crab. <laughs> a crab would be hard. It's like this. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah got okay. it. You got it. None of you can see what we're this doing. This is but great for an audio nailing format. It. Nailing it. Joseph said he was a representative of the Great White Brotherhood. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. You can't say that sort of stuff in Switzerland anymore. Uh Uh-oh. Bad news. Bad news. So the Brotherhood, put very simply, is a belief that there is a group of masters who guide evolution on Earth and the destiny of humans. Joseph also claimed that he was the reincarnation of Moses and an Egyptian pharaoh. Famously not buddies. But he's all of it. He's all of it. He's He's all of it. Both sides of the coin. Yeah. The creator and the destroyer. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he was known within the Order by the very chill nickname, Cosmic Master. Great. Dorks. Dorks. I'm going to start making you call me Cosmic Master. (laughs) Cosmic Master Maguire. I can, but I urge you to think about who's going to be more embarrassed by that. (laughs) Oh, it's definitely you. I I could walk around as a Cosmic Master all day. Don't worry about it. Joseph and Luke's teachings stressed occult apocalyptic themes In his lectures, Luke would talk about how the forests were dying and that a cosmic disaster was inevitable because of man's destruction of nature. Not a million miles away. No, not a million miles away. But also, he's very much the, like, OG of that kind of environmental nihilist where everything is on fire all of the time and we're going to die and there's only 10 more harvests left. And I'm like, who said that? Mm. Who fucking said that? Show me the fucking evidence. But they can't. Instead, they're just gluing themselves to fucking trains or whatever. No, he is very much in the environmental, calls himself an environmental activist, occultist, whatever, but he's an environmental fucking terrorist by the sounds of it. I mean, it does sound like it because in one of his writings, he said, quote, we are in a circle of fire. Everything is being consumed. We're about to make a leap in macro evolution. That sounds quite eugenics-y to me. I mean... No, not ever from the Great White Brotherhood, Hannah. (laughs) How foolish of me. Maybe they'll listen to you. (laughs) The LA Times reported that the solar temple differed from other millennialism doomsayers because, quote, they drew from occultism and ecological doomsayers. That's the best phrase. That's what I'm going to start calling all of this fucking extinction rebellion and whatever. Ecological doomsayers. Yeah, that's a good one. Mm -hmm. According to the Toronto Sun, the Solar Temple believed in the spiritual over the secular and were preparing for the return of Jesus Christ as a solar god king. They also believed that the world was entering the age of Aquarius, where all people will live in harmony with one another. In addition, they wanted to bring all religions under the umbrella of the Solar Temple. According to a Canadian prosecuting attorney who spoke with the Canadian press in 1994, the group's goal was to find people who were strong enough to survive the apocalypse and relaunch the human race. Are they Aryan? Oh, is this a master race? Is this a superior race situation? Or are they short brown people? We'll find out. Members were under the impression that they were here with a specific mission to fulfill. They believed that they would be reborn on a star called Sirius. They were also obsessed with the idea of purity. 
The Montreal Gazette reported that members wouldn't sit on the same seat that another person had used for fear of contamination. And members allegedly wouldn't let their children play with other kids from outside of the order. And this idea of purity came from the threat that they felt from pollution because they are the eco-warriors. Luke believed that pollution affected the body as much as a bad diet. Joseph claimed that his daughter was a cosmic being who would lead the people into the new age. She just wanted to be a tobacconist. I made that up. He also said that his daughter had been conceived immaculately. Oh, here we go. People were reportedly not allowed to touch Joseph's daughter and that she had to wear a helmet and gloves. Wow. Like the boy in the bubble. My God. In total, the group wanted nine cosmic children to bring in the new age of Aquarius. Mm -hmm. They don't seem to understand that the age of Aquarius is absolutely just the passage of time and you can't make it come any quicker. I, I don't know. I think when you believe the things that they're believing, you can believe whatever. Yeah, true. Nine cosmic children wearing helmets. So here are some of the rituals that solar temple inductees would have to go through. According to the New York Times, members wore white, red or black capes depending on their rank because remember, they love a hierarchy. One former member told the New York Times the followers would often have to wear plastic bags over their heads, a place that you famously shouldn't put a plastic bag as indicated on the plastic bag. And this was often done as a sign of their alienation from nature. What are you shut doing with up. so much plastic? Oh my God, shut up. This is the worst thing. The next thing we're going to see is a bunch of people protesting in the street wearing plastic bags I, over there. I, it wouldn't surprise me. I can't. I can't cope. And uh, this is an interesting point worth noting as well, because obviously we told you at the start, the 74 people die at the end of this, spoilers, either by murder or suicide. And when their bodies were found, some of them actually had bags over their heads. Well, there you go. Another former member claimed that drugs were used as a control mechanism. There were also knighting ceremonies that had Masonic overtones. They just want it fucking all, don't they? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, like, we'll have it all, we'll have it all. And during full moon rituals, people were allegedly told not to look at Luke's eyes because he was the Christ. Quote, unquote. Okay, so we've got the Cosmo King and Christ running off together towards <laughs> the uh, fiery inferno of the end of the world because uh -huh. it's on fire. So members were told that taking part in rituals would help achieve enlightenment, which was of course needed for their inclusion in the coming of the Age of Aquarius. Members were mostly spread throughout Switzerland, Canada and France, and they tended to be wealthy. By January 1989, the order had nearly 450 members, and monthly revenues from these solar temple locations ranged from 1000 to $12,000, depending on the country. No guesses where the 12000 was coming from. Other income for the order came from rich members who donated huge sums of money, reportedly in the hundreds of thousands, possibly millions of US dollars. One former member told the Toronto Sun that she and her husband gave the order $500,000 for the group's organic farm in Canada. What? I know we talk about this kind of thing all the time, but like, just imagine just giving $500,000 to someone else. How rich would you have to be to do that? Well, maybe they just really like farms. Maybe they do. But this isn't, this, I thought wealthy people stayed wealthy by not giving other people their money. Yes. Well, not um, these people. Apparently, until they get a bit religious and then they're just fucking 
Yeah. Money gunning. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Donors gave money thinking that it would be put towards something called life centers, which were supposed to be on farms in Canada and in Switzerland. The farm in Canada was supposed to be the temple's, quote, Ark of Safety, which was part of the group's survivalism plans. Historian Jean-Francois Mayer writes that around 1990 to 91, Joseph began to talk about a transit. This is the classic, when your doomsday predictions don't come true because the world isn't blown up in a fiery apocalypse, you got to think of a plan B. Yeah. And plan B is transit. Exactly, because the age of Aquarius be approaching whether you like it or not. According to later testimonies from former members, Joseph described the transit as a, quote, voluntary departure or consent to bring the, quote, germ of life to another planet. He allegedly told people that they should be ready to leave at any time. Up next, we'll get into what led up to the Solar Temple's mass suicides and murders. So let's get into the murders and suicides surrounding the Order of the Solar Temple. As we talked about earlier, Luc Jarret and Joseph de Mambro told followers that they were being guided by masters of the Rosicrucian Order, who were living underground in Zurich. But around 1990, Joseph's son started to doubt his dad's claims about the Grand Masters, and soon figured out that he had been faking his apparitions. It was his hands the whole time. Ah, no! I'm such a fool. Just whip that torch away and suddenly it's just a hand. <laughs> and the son actually told members of the order what was going on, which led to 15 people leaving the group. Also, in the early 1990s, some members of the order began asking for their money back and the group's finances began to decline. In 1991, an anti-cult organization also started looking into the solar temple and negative press began to grow around the group. And what I would say is when people are like, you know, no PR is bad PR. I think when you're a cult, bad PR is bad PR. Yes, I think that anything even close to the world cult isn't gonna, isn't gonna help you out. Nope. In 1993, there were more resignations when members in France found out that some of their money had been used on a leader's home improvement projects. Again, in 1993, Canadian police began an investigation into the order to see if they were connected to assassination threats on Canadian public officials. But the police found no evidence of this allegation. The very same year, Luke was charged in Canada with conspiracy to obtain illegal firearms. In July 1993, he pled guilty and was fined just a thousand Canadian dollars. And then he skipped off to Switzerland. On October the 4th, 1994, a former member was found murdered in his home, along with his wife and child, and two other people. Joseph de Mambro had called the couple's baby the Antichrist. And the New York Times reported that Canadian police said that members of the order had killed the family. On October the 5th, 1994, at around 1am, a fire broke out at a solar temple centre in a remote area of Switzerland. 
Police discovered 23 bodies, including that of a child, in one room of the centre. Some appeared to be shot, while others were found, like we said earlier, with plastic bags over their heads. That same day, at 3am, not too far from the first discovery, fires broke out nearly simultaneously in three chalets where members of the Solar Temple lived. Police found 25 bodies. They also found remains of devices that were used to start the fires. And Luke and Joseph were found among the dead. A year later, in December 1995, 16 more bodies were discovered in both France and Switzerland. Investigators later determined that most died in a mass suicide, but that at least four had been murdered. In 1996, The Guardian reported that Interpol knew that Joseph de Mambro was going by five aliases and had been linked to money laundering networks in France, Switzerland and, you guessed it, Canada. But the money laundering was never proven. More deaths connected to the Solar Temple occurred in 1997. In total, 74 people affiliated with the Order of the Solar Temple died in the mass suicides and murders. Following the deaths in 1994, several members of the media, government, and academic scholars received so-called transit letters or testaments. The notes explained that some of the deaths had been executions and not suicides, and that some of the other murders had been, quote, intended to help weaker solar temple members make a transit to the higher world. Well, how kind of them to look after the weakest among them. The higher world being, of course, the star Sirius where they would live in their, quote, solar bodies. They went on to say that they believed that an environmental disaster was unavoidable. And they said, quote, the race is heading irreversibly towards its own destruction. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Hannah Maguire. And I'm Saruti Bala, and we'll be back next week with another great episode. We just want to mention that for today's episode, we referenced the books How the Millennium Comes Violently by Catherine Wessinger and The Order of the Solar Temple, edited by James Lewis. We also referenced the research paper Our Terrestrial Journey is Coming to an End, The Last Voyage of the Solar Temple by Jean-Francois Mayer, and research papers by scholar Massimo Intravigne. And we also found reporting from The Guardian, The Daily Telegraph, The Los Angeles Times, Toronto Sun, The Montreal Gazette, and The New York Times useful for our research. Remember to follow Sinister Societies on Spotify to get a brand new episode every single week. You can listen to this and all other episodes of Sinister Societies for free exclusively on Spotify. And if you like this show, follow at Parcast on Facebook and on Instagram and at Parcast Network on Twitter. And if you want to listen to me and Hannah talk about some other horrible crimes, you can come do that over at Red Handed the Podcast, wherever you listen to your podcasts. A recent episode we just recorded was on the Van Bredar family murders. If you don't know about that, imagine an entire family getting axe murdered to death in their incredibly wealthy million dollar home in South Africa. But two of them survive. One of them, not in a good way. The other one seems absolutely fine. Who do we think did it? <laughs> Come find out. It was the mailman. That is red-handed wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll see you there or here next time. Goodbye. Sinister Societies is executive produced by Max Cutler and is a Spotify original from Parcast. It's produced by Kristen Acevedo, Gemma Waters and Tracy Levy. 
Sound design by Kristen Acevedo with associate sound design by Jamie Ryan. Production assistance by Ron Shapiro. Researched by Chelsea Wood. Fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. And we're your hosts, Hannah Maguire and Saruti Bala. <laughs>